You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is in the trenches where I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. Guys, it's, it's great to see you. Somewhere in the background, I'm imagining the boys are back in town, queued up and and playing somewhere in the distance. Carolina kicked <laughs> off the 2022 season with a 32-point win over Florida A&M. Let's get right into it. Mike, what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Um, offensive line pass protection looks like it was much improved. They didn't do a whole lot up front. I saw a couple of twists. Um, you know, if you remember last season, I harped on it every single week because it was a problem that never got fixed. I saw a few twists that um, – we're partially fixed. It looks like we, we have the the teaching and the coaching there to make it to make sure that problem gets solved. Um, but clearly, the guys understood what was going on. They saw it before it happened. Now it's just a matter of getting their feet there. So I, saw, I thought the pass protection was substantially better. It was a lot of one on one assignments, um, which can tell you a lot about the offensive line you have. If they can win their individual matchups, you know the rest of the stuff is mostly mental. So I thought that was that was encouraging. There's some stuff in the run game we got to clean up. I didn't think we did a very good job getting up to the second level. And I saw a couple times, particularly on gap scheme plays like power, stuff was getting blown up from players on the interior defensive line, guys that we should have covered up either on double teams or back blocks were actually making the plays. And if they weren't doing it, it was linebacker run through, which goes to our second level assignment issue. So those are my big takeaways from the offense. I'm sure you have a lot to talk about on the defense. Uh, I think that's probably going to be the bulk of this podcast. So I'll let EJ start running with it. Yeah, Mike, uh, quickly, I was I was at Keenan Stadium yesterday. And somebody was asking about this podcast and they were like, oh, I, I love Mike's breakdowns of the offensive line. But I have to imagine the focus that he watches the game where it's almost like he's only seeing the offensive line sounds like a miserable way to watch football. <laughs> so, so I wanted to shout that person out. <laughs> and, uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you for also understanding the burden that I carry. As a, as, a, as a fatty offensive lineman, I am incapable of watching where the ball goes because I don't really care. Unless it ends up in the end zone, I don't care where it goes. So, yeah, they're exactly right. EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways from a game that, for the defense, it, it probably wasn't the defensive performance a lot of people were expecting? Uh, I really don't think it's, it's definitely not the defensive performance that I was expecting, but I'll start off with the positives. The positives, we are really fast and athletic on defense. Uh, I think we have a really stout defensive front. I think that's what's going to be the strength of our defense. And I think everybody around the program, everybody in that locker room knows that the defense, as I say, every season, it seems like, but now it feels like everybody around that uh, the program is getting that that defense is going to go as the defensive line goes. And uh, I saw some really good things, uh, but I also saw some things that are concerning and disappointed me. Uh, second thing, um, 
our linebackers are are, are going to be a really – I think we have probably some of the best young, talented linebackers in the ACC. I mean, the way they play I, – I, one play in particular where Cedric Gray was just caught completely out of position on a pass play, chased it down, um, and, and deflected the pass. So I was really impressed with just the overall athleticism. Uh, some of the negatives, I, I really was not impressed by our ability to rush the passer, which I think – I think, honestly, against lesser competition. And not only that, we were going against the offensive line that well, – I mean, one of the things – that the commentators were talking about all game was their eligibility issues, their health on the offensive line. And with our defensive line being the strength of our defense, it, it really wasn't encouraging to see their inability to rush the passer. Most of the pressure that we got was through Power Eccles, uh, Power Eccles blitzing. And then we also got a little bit of action from uh, Kimon Rucker, who looked really good against a guy who I, I, I thought was kind of small until they zoomed in on him. I realized he's probably one of those six, eight guys, kind of like a guy uh, Mike and I played with in Tampa. Um, Lamar Dotson. Lamar Dotson. That's exactly Lamar who he reminded me of. And I think Kimon Rucker, he just had a, t- I mean, he, he just really was showing his ability in, in what we kind I've been seeing from him over the past couple of seasons. Uh, one thing that's really concerning me is uh, Tony Grimes being out. Um, I think that a lot of the things that we saw in our defense was a result of them just picking on his replacement and that he just really unfortunately looked like a guy that wasn't really prepared um, to, to really uh, have that much action last night. So I think that's really where a lot of our defensive troubles came from. I, I think that if if Storm, I mean, not, not Storm, if Tony was able to play uh, the majority of that game, I think to look, I think it looks a little bit different. Uh, that's where they were getting most of the yardage from. But still, um, of course, you know I'm going to be nitpicky and find some other things to talk about. But all in all, uh, I'm excited about where our defense can go. I mean, for the first outing with a brand new defensive staff, basically, uh, I'm not too disappointed. Yeah, for me, this this was a game I I left Keenan Stadium with some mixed feelings because you saw a lot of good that the North Carolina Tar Heels did specifically on the offensive side of the ball, but then there were a lot of things that they put on film that you don't expect to happen against an inferior opponent. And when you start ramping up the competition, when you start ramping up going into the hostile environments where North Carolina really struggled last year, those are issues that I think could come to that, that could be foreshadowing bigger problems that this team could have um, further down the line. Um, But one of the good things that we saw yesterday, Drake may, his first collegiate start became the first quarterback in UNC history to throw for five touchdowns in his first start. Mike, what, what did you think of Drake May's play in his first game as, as the starter? I mean, if it was Sam Howell, we'd say, ho hum, it's FAMU, but it's Drake May's first full game, you know, with, with, with a full game of live bullets, with a full game plan, with having to make adjustments, um, him being, him being the sheriff out there, um, that's hard to do no matter who the opponent is. Um, I, I, I'm sure EJ can talk about this. I remember my first start with it. I mean, the first time you were on the field, you know, those first, the, that first game is, is difficult because it's not like practice. It doesn't matter who the opponent is, how talented you think they are, what, you know, whether they're an FCS opponent or, or you know, uh, an FBS opponent, it doesn't really matter because it's the first time you're really measuring yourself against somebody else who doesn't know anything about you. And there could be a lot of nerves and there could be a lot of jitters. And I thought Drake showed a lot of poise. I thought he looked pretty mature. Um, he obviously showed he's willing to lay it out, <laughs> trying to helicopter his way in the end zone at one time. Um, you know, which I think that the announcers talked about it. Tim Hasselbeck talked about it a little bit on the broadcast, but um, I agree with his point that that really endears yourself to your teammates. And when you're trying to break in a new, um, a new set of starters and when you're a new quarterback breaking in a new, you know, a new group of guys, they're feeling you out. You're feeling, 
or um, they're feeling you out, you're feeling them out. When you're trying to do that, things like that, laying your body on the line really, you know, will we'll, we'll build that camaraderie. They'll build that rapport. And they will, like I said, endear you um, to that group of guys pretty quickly. And I, I like I like to see that. I'm glad that I saw that. Um, I would have liked to have seen Jacoby Criswell get in a little bit sooner instead of getting, you know, you know, just a series full of handoffs at the end. I think, um, he's, you know, I understand why you want to leave Drake in there as long as possible for all the reasons I just said. You want to get him as much time in that game to work out those jitters, see as much stuff as he possibly can now, considering the test they've got coming up now going to Boone to play App State, you know, at App. Um, you want to make sure that he's got as much game experience as, as he can get for this season with this group of guys in this scheme and in this offense. But I still think Jacoby Criswell probably earned the right to play a little bit sooner. I'm not, I'm not on the staff. I don't make those calls. I understand the logic behind leaving Drake in as long as you did. Um, but, uh, but again, the one thing I just, I, I kept, I kept thinking, and some folks that I was texting with, you know, shared the sentiment was that we do wish Jacoby would have got a little bit more run a little sooner. Yeah, the the overarching play of the defense, I think they kind of owe Jacoby Criswell an apology for, for not getting him into the game. This is a game where when we had it on the schedule when I was playing, this is this is an everybody on the bus game. Everybody that gets on that bus should get in. And when when it's a it should have been a seven point game probably at halftime if Florida AM doesn't go aggressive thinking that they're in this game and Storm Duck gets that interception. Um, and then Carolina scores off, off the short field. Um, but I agree with you. This is a game that I thought you would see more Jacoby Criswell um, with Drake May. I thought he missed uh, a few spots. You could you could probably chalk that up to the nerves. He he underthrew Josh Downs a couple of times. The deep ball wasn't wasn't quite there. He he missed on a couple of the deep balls. But overall, I I thought he showed a lot of promise. I think it was something where that first big rush for him that went for like 42 yards that kind of kept Florida A&M in check and, and realized that he he could be a dual threat guy and it opened up the field a lot for him um EJ you mentioned the the defense there was good there was bad there was ugly mm-hmm. to me the the player of the game from that unit was somebody you mentioned Power Eccles where in his first start at linebacker he led the team in tackles tackles for a loss was one of the three players that recorded a sack. I thought he was the one that got the ball out from where I was, um, but apparently it was Kamon Rucker who got it out. But mm-hmm. regardless, he was a player that was all over the field. Everywhere you saw 23 was flashing, kind of looked like a future all-conference player, in my opinion. What were you seeing from him? Uh, in the words of Denny Green, he is who we thought he is. I mean, no, no the guy, honestly, when, when I was watching him on his highlight uh, film from high school, I was like, this guy's really going to be a player for us, not only because of his obvious athleticism and his tenacity and his just knack for the game, just the energy he plays with. You don't see high school guys celebrating the way that he does. Like he he celebrated the way that Ray Lewis did. It was more, it wasn't doing a dance or something that he choreographed. It's just the pure energy and the excitement that he has playing the game. He looks like, I mean, it's like a kid out there playing the game, but it's obvious that when he makes contact with somebody else, that he's a full grown man. And the fact that he's out there playing with no gloves on, it's like it's so throwback 
But the athleticism that he has, he's obviously such a new school player. And I mean, it's really exciting to watch. He because he re- reminds me of the linebackers that we played with, like Bruce Bruce Carter, Quan Sturdivant, and Kevin Reddick, like guys that will run around and hit you. And they also could rush the passer, but they also were going to cover their assignments. Um, anytime that that um, he was covering someone, it's three yard gain, four yard gain. And some people may say, "Oh, yeah, he's gaining yards," but at the end of the day, he's a he's an inside linebacker covering people in the flats. I mean, he's doing things out there that he does look like a, a future all-conference player. Um, I was thinking to myself, like, he he he's really putting together a, a ACC uh, linebacker of the week type of game. And let's let's not take FAMU for granted. Yeah, they are playing in the lower division. They're not a power five school. But a lot of these guys are transfers or people who've had division one offers. Some of these guys that we're playing against from FAMU probably had offers from Carolina or some other ACC schools. I mean, the, the tackle that I was just mentioning, it wasn't he he came over from Florida State. So the, some of these guys have played in big time, have played in big time football games, come from big Big time program so let's not take it too much for granted what they did but with that being said back to to, to the man at hand I mean I, I think I think he's wearing that 23 for a reason I mean he like he he really it really just gets me excited watching him I, I just kind of wish that he kind of reminds me of like the how Jaquarius Conley stood out when he was healthy and playing last year he's just that breath of fresh air as far as athleticism and you pair him with Cedric Gray I mean I mean that that's just really a beast of a combo of linebacker so I'm really excited to see what he's going to do the rest of the season I mean I, I'm re- I really think he's going to put together some impressive numbers not only uh with tackles for loss but with interceptions pass breakups I, I think he's going to be all over the field type of guy so really excited to see how he matures I'll tell you what's crazy EJ is we got the type of depth we got a linebacker Ra Ra Dilworth is a backup, and, exactly. I, and there were times Ra Ra looked like he, you know, I'm not saying he didn't know what was going on, but he, he looked like he was, you know, swimming a little bit out there. But there's mm-hmm. no, there's absolutely no denying how athletic and fast that kid is. When he got that rough in the passer penalty, which was nonsense. Yeah. Uh, if you watch him on that blitz, he gets stuffed in his initial gap. His primary gap got stuffed, and he ended up he found a little seam, and that dude hit a gear when he when he got to the center's hip. He hit a gear and got to that quarterback. That I mean, I, I didn't think he'd even get home. Oh yeah, but I, I couldn't believe. I mean, I couldn't believe they threw the flag. But I mean, the fact that timing was just so bang bang. Like most players wouldn't be able to get there that fast. Most players wouldn't have gotten the late hit or the roughing the pass for penalty because they wouldn't even have got there. So I mean, that that's another kid. If you look at the the depth here and the speed we have at the linebacker position, the fact that that kid is a backup right now mm-hmm. in our scheme just shows how deep this team is. And I hope he's able to to break that lineup and be on the field more because a guy that fast and that athletic, um, he can really do some damage. And you have to find a place for a guy like that. And that kind of goes to the point with, with what they were saying that coach Chizik thinks that he can, he can really, really, much put that front eight in any position on the field. You don't have to do a lot of subbing um, on, on nickel situations on third down and long. I mean, because all the guys that you want pass rushing, on the field the only reason that they would be on the field just to give a breather or simply because the guys that are backing them up are so talented that you have to find a way to get them on the field so they have to share some snaps just kind of like you said so I do think we are going to see some more him this season but it's just kind of encouraging to to for over these last couple of years on this podcast we've talked about injuries and lack of depth lack of depth that we had now we have so much depth that we got to find a way to get these guys on the field so I mean I think defensively with the longevity of a season and especially with some of the opponents we have coming up I think it's a good problem to have yeah that that front seven looks drastically different um, from from a on the field perspective than than anything that we've seen in, in quite some time at Carolina it probably goes back to 
when, when you guys were out there on the field for the front <laughs> seven looking like that. I was talking to somebody about the, the 2015 team, and we were 11-1, and one, whatever we were, and a lot of the guys on that defense were like, we wouldn't be starting on this defense. We would, we probably wouldn't be on the two deep in this defense with, with some of the bodies that they have. And I love the, the reference to power Eccles as, as an old school linebacker. He strikes me as a guy who would have wore the neck roll. 1000%. Oh, yeah. He was, well, I he think he did in high school. Year, yeah. yeah. yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah he, he did. He wore the neck roll out. I was about to say like, where'd that thing go? Cause that looked pretty badass. That he that's like him his mo he's a neck roll guy. I was yeah. disappointed to not see that like yesterday. I was like, well, who's this kid number twenty three in his power Eccles <laughs> costume? <laughs> and then Mike with with Drake May, I thought he did a a good job distributing the ball. Seven different targets had at least two receptions. Four different targets were on the receiving end of a touchdown pass. We kind of knew what to expect from somebody like Josh Downs yesterday, who who goes off for. A, a typical Josh Downs game. He's uh, he's scoring two touchdowns. But is this the season of the tight end with that three-headed monster? You have Kamari Morales, mm-hmm. Copenhaver, and Bryson Nesbitt. They combined for eight catches, 130 yards, and, and two touchdowns. Is, is this kind of foreshadowing that the, the tight ends are going to be a lot more involved in this Carolina offense than what we've seen in the, the past three years with Phil Longo? I think it should. I think they absolutely should be, and it'll open up things for guys like Josh Downs. It'll also open up the run game from for for us a little better. Um, we got very receiver heavy the last couple of years, so it became very. It was very easy, particularly last season, to know where Sam was looking to go with the football. He was looking to go to Josh Downs, if not Josh Downs, some other receiver somewhere maybe. But it wasn't hard to cover those guys because you knew the tight ends, the running backs out of the backfield weren't going to be much of a threat. You know, cut that to the 2020 season where we had Michael Carter, Javante Williams, and they were receiving threats out of the backfield. Um, you know, we, we had more, we had more guys who could catch the ball from different positions rather than just the receivers being the primary ball catchers. Um, that was, that made our offense completely different. We became very one dimensional in the past game last season. And I think I'm hoping at least from what I saw from the tight ends, which I thought is a great point that you brought up here that we're going to see a little bit more diversity in terms of, um, uh, pass distribution, um, you know, where we're throwing the ball. If you go and you look at Drake May's pass chart, right, he was pretty evenly in terms of distribution. He was pretty even throughout all three zones of the field, left, middle, and right. He didn't really favor one way or the other, which your tight ends will do that for you. you know, you'll have more completions up the middle. You have more completion, you know, short completions towards the sidelines with your tight ends. Um, and the one thing that I do want to mention is I think Copenhaver, um, he, he, he dropped one. He was, he should have had it. He, he dropped one pass, but one thing he brings that, I don't think uh, Kamari Morales and Nesbitt do. Morales and Nesbitt are great in the pass game. I think they're going to be fantastic receiving options for us. Copenhaver is um, a blocker as well. And I saw him on on the line with his, on his blocking assignments in the run game, pushing some guys through the back of the end zone, particularly on touchdowns and stuff. Um, I saw him, I saw him taking care of his assignment in the run game from the tight end position, um, much the way that like, and, it, and then, you know, EJ and I talk, you know, what we know, what we know is who we played with. You know, Ed Barham is a great example of that. Uh, Richard Quinn is a great example of that. Tight ends who can block, um, but also have soft hands and can catch. I think Copenhaver is going to be that guy. So he'll be, you know, he'll be an extra option in the run game in terms of blocking, which will make our run game better. And then if you're able to run two tight end sets with a Nesbitt and the Morales, along with a Copenhaver, Copenhaver's handling handle the blocking. And if you run and play action passes and stuff off of that, we like to run a lot of, a lot of, um, 
a lot of um, uh, check with me's or a lot of uh, pass options off of gap scheme, like powers and counters and things like that. Yeah, Copenhagen handling his blocking assignment from the tight end position. Looks like he's blocking. You can free up another tight end on the backside for an easy completion for a first down. I just see that playing out this season. So I think absolutely the tight ends will play a big role in our pass game. It will really help out all facets of the offense, which was something that was missing last year. Yeah, it was it was something you kind of saw last year, but Kamari Morales is he's just a magnet in in the red zone for yeah. and finds his he's way. Really, he's he's really slippery for a big bulky guy. He's real slippery. Yeah, yeah. He all he does for this Carolina team really is catch touchdowns. Yeah. You see somebody like Bryson Nesbitt where you line him out wide and it's like good luck trying to trying to guard him or putting a, a linebacker on him. He's going to just run through the seam right past him. You put a smaller DB on him and the DB is clearly outmatched. How sick do you think Copenhaver is today that Morales scores, Nesbitt scores, and then he, <laughs> he, he, he can't get in the end zone? You, you <laughs> yeah, think he's sick today? Yeah, he's yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sitting there giving him some props in the in the run game, and he's like, "I'm a tight end. I don't care about I don't care about blocking. I do it because I have to. I do it so it'll throw me the ball in one." Yeah. <laughs> so that's what he's thinking right now. Uh, EJ, the we we talked about it a bit with Tony Grimes going out. the The Carolina pass coverage left a lot to be desired. It's it's the biggest reason why I've been hesitant to think that this Carolina defense is going to see some drastic improved turnaround where. I think some people are expecting them to be a top 30 unit with the the talent that has kind of been um, compiling over the years in Chapel Hill. The Rattlers, they, they completed over 70% of their passes for a first down per completion. When you look at some of the quarterbacks that Carolina will play this year, you know, the Tyler Van Dykes at Miami, Devin Leary, Sam Hartman, Brennan Armstrong at Virginia. How worried about this unit are you, especially with, how thin they see they seem where somebody like Tony Grimes goes out and it's it's a unit where where guys were just getting kind of picked on all night. I'm worried to the point though when people have been asking me all offseason, what do I think about the deep what do I think our defense is going to look like this year? I immediately go to our defensive line and linebackers and that's not to slight the our our secondary is just that the secondary has been such an issue and it, it looks like it's more of the same this year i mean those guys really were getting picked on and when what we saw in the passing game was quick passes to the outside really exposing our corners really putting them in one-on-one situations they kind of neutralized what the strength of our defense and which is our our interior linebackers and our defensive line yeah that and that but but the, the positive off of that is that i saw the speed and how our defense rallies to the to the football i mean you saw defensive linemen down the field making plays you saw our linebackers down the field making plays but what you also was saw was a, a lot of uh corners coming up and biting on underneath option routes and, and getting the ball thrown right over their head for first downs you're seeing big gains in the passing game you're seeing short passes and you're getting a lot of yard after catch yeah we, we're running to the ball but if a guy's catching the ball and nobody's within five yards of him then it's going to be hard for any defensive any defensive unit to catch guys who are also good enough to have defensive one def- defensive uh division one scholarship so it's really going to be a problem. And I mean, yeah, it's really scary thinking about some of the talent that we're going to have to play. I mean, even going down next week, going down to Boone, I mean, that's going to be a tough game. We played them a couple of years ago in Chapel Hill, and I don't know if we underestimated them or, I mean, but they were a talented bunch. So we are going to see 
every week, I think, good, good quarterbacks. I mean, maybe we'll have a little break when we play Georgia State, but if, if we can't stay healthy and we can't get guys to, to really improve every week and improve off of this uh, performance that they had this week, it's going to be more of the same, and I think it could be even worse. If 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 we, we're playing well against the run and we have all this speed with, with, within the um, yard markers, within the hashes, Teams are going to just stretch us on the outside. They're going to try to – they're going to hit us with the quick passes. They're going to go downfield, and they're going to take away take away the strength of our defense. I mean, when uh, just like how, how Mike just said, we refer to what we know. When we were there, yeah, we had a stout defensive line. We had great linebackers, but think about the secondary we had. Charles Brown, Kendrick Burney, Deontay, uh, Deontay Williams, uh, Denoris Searcy. Like, all of those guys were NFL-caliber guys, and both of those guys played in the NFL. Shoot, I mean, Deontay was going to be a first round draft pick until the tragic injury happened during his last game so you have to have a complete defense or else somebody can just expose your strength I mean I'm not saying that the, uh, our secondary needs to go out there and be great and be shutting down receivers every game but you need to at least hold your own so that the strength of our defense up front can help you out I mean give us enough coverage that where we can rush the passer but going to my other point I didn't really see anything that showed us that we have the elite pass rushing ability that I thought that we would have this year. I mean, yeah, we saw something from Kimon Rucker. Yeah, we saw some things from Power Eccles. Yeah, Noah Taylor coming over from UVA really gave us a, a burst off the edge as well. But we need to see more of that. We need to see, see that more consistent if we know that we're not going to be as strong in the back end. So um, hopefully uh, we, we, we can pull it together and find some ways to kind of compensate for those guys. But eventually they're going to have to start holding their own and, and covering some guys so we can really play the type of aggressive, blitzing, fast-paced defense that we want to play. Yeah. Well, if you want to neutralize that, that outstanding, what looks to be an outstanding linebacking core that we have with all that speed, make them run sideline to sideline, running those, mm-hmm. you know, covering those, those, those wide passes, those wide, short passes you talked about, mm-hmm. sort of picking on our corners on the outside and make our linebackers have to cover that and make that tackle because our corners aren't, um, or our corners aren't aren't shutting down that pass, and the ball carrier's got the ball, and now he's getting yards after the catch, and we got to chase him. But luckily, so, you know, how, how exhausted are those guys going to be come, you know, halfway through the second quarter when they've spent one and a half quarters running sideline to sideline already? Next thing you know, it's the fourth quarter. You got cramping issues. I mean, you just see how it snowballs. Exactly, and it's going to be. And it's uh, what what was what was encouraging though is that we do know that we have the depth, the athleticism, <laughs> that we do have linebackers that can cover. We do have people coming off of the bench that can cover. But like you said, when 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 Dilworth came in the game, he did kind of look some out of sorts. We don't know if that's from not getting reps. We don't know just kind of what his mindset was. Maybe he thought he was going to get he was going to get a little bit more playing time. And I don't care how mentally strong you are. If you come into offseason prepping to play a lot more, you don't. You're going to be a little bit out of sorts when you get in the game. So I do think that if 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 we don't fix this problem during the end towards the end of the season where we're really getting into late games where teams are running the ball more, we don't want to have a bunch of banged up guys out there that are dealing with muscle issues and are exposing themselves to injury because they're gassed out there playing and having to make plays to save the defense. I mean, we saw that with Chad Surratt a couple of years ago. We were worried about him him being gassed and running out of gas, and we, we just don't want to see that happen to our young linebacker. So we do need to fix that problem because, yeah, guys can run side down the sideline, but their job is really to go downhill. So Let's have other guys taking care of their jobs so our guys can do what they do best. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, 
or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, and this is why you, you like to play uh, a Florida A&M type team this, the first week of the season or week zero, as Mike was arguing that it shouldn't the be called dumbest this. thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> if it counts on the schedule it's week one yeah <laughs> everything else should get pushed week, back I week, agree. week zero week zero is the high school preseason jamboree that's week zero yeah but this is why you you like to play a team like florida a&m to start the season where you can get somebody like Ra rod dilworth um extended reps and throw him in the fire so before you you get to Boone he he's a lot more comfortable and he he's seen some things but I thought that when Noah Taylor got the sack early Florida A&M kind of countered going more to to the quick game like you mentioned EJ is there anything that from a game plan perspective that when a team counters you like that what what can Carolina kind of do to try to get back the the advantage when a team goes quick game the only thing you can do is really get your hands up in the air because, I mean, they, they're going quick game because they want the secondary to come up and start to bite, and then they're going to throw it over our head. As defensive linemen, if we react to that and stop our pass rush, all they're going to do is throw a screen. If we're going knowing that we're going three steps and just get our hands in the air and running back to try to make a tackle, teams are going to start using it. They're going to start faking tunnel screens and throwing the ball underneath. The next thing you know, everybody else is retreating, going try to chase that down. We have a screen going the other way, so you have to be careful about how you react to that i think what we really need to focus on is fixing the problem at hand and that's just ha- having better coverage on the outside and yeah if they do want to throw it outside if you're allowing three yards every play i mean i mean we're gonna have to knuckle up eventually and it's gonna stop working but i just i just want to be careful about us over adjusting about that until we see what that's going to look like once we have a healthy defense and once we're able to see this on film and cor- correct the x's and o's of it instead of instead of having people playing up and correcting the technique that we're playing from a defensive line secondary or a linebacker perspective mike since training camp started the the two names that i've heard after every practice after every scrimmage it's been Omarion Hampton and George Petaway. Omarion Hampton rushed for 101 yards on 7.2 yards per carry, two touchdowns. 1946 was the last year that a Carolina freshman rushed for over 100 yards in their first game. Is that, that Brian Chacos? That, that was, yeah. <laughs> De- Devin Ramsey was a couple of years Devin before Ramsey. that. <laughs> Every every time I make an old Devin Ramsey joke, I get a text from him mm-hmm. saying, like, come mm-hmm. on, man. Keep, keep. 
let, let it go already. I, you I can't do it first. anymore, though, because half the roster, half of, half of the college football rosters in America are now 60 or seniors. So you can't make that joke anymore. It's not even funny. Yeah, it's, it's, funny. it's, it's, it's funny. It's not the same anymore. But Myron Hampton had a great game in his first start. George Petaway, four rushes, 51 yards. You kind of saw the the flash of a burst that he has and, and the quickness and acceleration. What were you kind of seeing from the these two young running backs? And do you think I'm in the camp where the talent in that running back room is eventually going to win out? It's he they're not listed as the starters right now, but as the season goes on and maybe as soon as next week in Boone, it's going to be Omari Hampton, George Petaway. I mean, you've got DJ Jones, Elijah Green. If British Brooks was healthy, he'd be in there. And you know, I'm, I mean, I love British Brooks. I mean, I thought he. I, I've loved that kid since since the Orange Bowl. I mean, I thought that he's he's been a player for for a while, um, and I, I was glad he was finally getting his opportunity. And that that injury, you know, I mean, that's that sucks um, for him. But I think you're right. I mean, that that running back room is so unbelievably deep. Um, I don't. They're gonna have hard decisions to make, but I think you're right. You know, there's. I don't. I don't know this to be true, and this isn't an indictment on the coaching staff. It's not to not to denigrate anybody. Um, or reveal any secrets, but there are promises that are made in recruiting also that are going to ultimately have to be considered. Um, you don't know what was said on the recruiting trail. Obviously things change when you get onto campus, but when you got, when you, when you, when you, when you're recruiting kids and you make promises to them and then they show up on campus and they actually start delivering in the way that you thought they would, but they're kind of just on the bubble or they're just on the cusp. But some point that relationship you built with them early on that's going to have to take precedent, particularly in the transfer age. Um, it's just, it's just going to, it's, it's going to have to take priority. Um, and that's, I think that's going to ultimately play adversely to guys like Elijah Green and DJ Jones. And I, and I hate that because I think they're both, I think both of them are extremely talented. Um, and DJ for, you know, for all the reasons I said on the broadcast last night was the starter, but he understands the pass game. He understands pass protection. He's good in pass protection. He knows what he's doing. You know, it's one of those – it's the old adage you hear from coaches all the time, I can't play you if you don't know what you're doing. You know a guy like D.J. Jones knows what he's doing. So you put him out there, you know he's not going to make any – he's not going to make mental mistakes. Um, but, man, you, you've really got some talent in in Petaway and Hampton. I mean, you have the talent you thought you had. Um, like you just said earlier, you know, they are who we thought they were. And um, I think eventually that's – you're right. We're going to see a whole lot more of them this season. But – I mean, just imagine, just like we got, we've been talking about depth, the linebacker position, depth at, on the defensive line. Look at the depth we have in the running back room, you know, and that's a position that, you know, fields a lot of injuries. You know, we were constantly concerned with um, um, Javante and Michael Carter. If one of them got hurt and one, and then we were left with just one of them to carry all that load, would it become, you know, with that, with that running game become one dimensional? Would people just start keying on them and one guy wouldn't be as effective you know, individually as they were as a pair. Um, this is the type of group from a depth perspective that it really doesn't matter who the starter is. You have sort of a, a thunder lightning cliche, you know, one, two punch cliche with any number of guys. So if one guy goes down, it's, you know, it, it's, it's like branches on a tree, right? Another one just grows right in and you've got another guy right there ready to go. It's almost like plug and play. You know, will we lose a couple guys to transfer in the off season? We very well may. Um, but I think right now, for the purposes of this season, it's highly encouraging to see all the talent we have in that running back room. But those two young guys are going to end up getting the lion's share of carries. I just don't see how they don't um, 
you know, you're going to have to spell them a little bit because they're young, you know, from an injury perspective, you know, your body's got to get acclimated to college football. It's a different level, but um, they, they sure do look promising. Um, they're extremely talented guys. They have good field vision. Um, and as long as they mess with the offensive line, you know, moving forward, which I think the offensive line is much improved from what it was a year ago. Um, you know, I think the running game is going to, going to ultimately be stronger than what we saw last night or Saturday night. This will air Monday morning, obviously Saturday night. Yeah. Where, where they really grew in the game, I thought uh, as the game kind of went on was their ability to make that first person miss. I think early on they, they were kind of struggling and going down with first contact, but then you saw, you saw Petaway on his touchdown run. I don't think he got touched, and that was that was a run that was in pretty close quarters. Then you saw Hampton just bouncing off the the would be tacklers, where he's somebody like Javante Williams. He can run past you, he can run through you. He he kind of craves that contact as a running back. Um, and then I, I I also think with with Hampton, he's he's been. He wasn't an early enrollee, which is kind of crazy for for how quickly he's moved up this depth chart. But it's consistent with like what we've been hearing um, since he stepped foot on campus, where when you put everybody in that running back room, he's the one that kind of looks the best. And I think Michael Carter had had the best description of of the the running back room as it is, where there there's a couple of future millionaires in that room. It, it's the, the, the same kind of backfield that you had with. Um, Michael Carter and Javante Williams, where you looked at them and you're like, yeah, I, I could see how these two are going to be um, on NFL roster some days. But Mike, the extension of the the running game, you, you mentioned um, in your takeaways, the offensive line. How would you kind of grade the offensive line as a whole? Because Carolina, they rushed for 7.9 yards per carry. Um, Drake May was sacked zero times. Drake May was hit zero times. The only offensive lineman I have on pro football focus, uh, there are only four pressures, uh, no, five pressures from the offensive line, four from Ed Montalis and one from William Barnes. How would you kind of grade the offensive line performance as a whole? Yeah, I, I think I think those PFF, um, that PFF data is right. The interior offensive line is where if we had struggles, we had it, and we had it in the run game and the pass game. Um, positives, like EJ likes to do, I'll, you know, I'll lead with a compliment sandwich here. Positive is that pass protection was substantially better. And like I said in my opening remarks, most of it was one-on-one assignments. And everybody won the majority of their one-on-one assignments. So when they had a guy head up with them and it was mano a mano, um, they won those assignments. Um, they won those battles. The pass protection looked good. Their hand placement was good. Their hips were good. Um, their punches were good when they got, I saw several times guys were getting bold and they were able to, you know, they, they, they were able to pull the guy in, lock him down, sit their hips, drop their, you know, drop their hips, set their feet and stop the ball quickly. Um, that's hard to coach. It's hard to learn how to do it's something I struggled with my entire career. Um, bull rush that EJ can attest to this. Um, uh, EJ got me in college and the end of the pro level several times with this, um, you know, bull rushes are hard to beat. Um, and if you if you got guys in week one, they're, they're able to handle it as well as I saw all five guys across the board handle it. That's really encouraging. That shuts down one option for that defensive lineman. Now, they're going to have to do it every game because every single defensive lineman is going to try it against every one of our offensive linemen. But if you can shut it down early in a game, that eliminates one avenue of attack for that defensive lineman in the, in the pass rush. So I thought the pass protection looked really good. I thought they were passing off twists better than it did last year. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't clean every time. Um, but like you said, Drake wasn't under a ton of pressure. Now, some of that was he was able to scramble out. 
I thought a couple times Drake might have bailed a little earlier than he needed to, but that's just being young and jittery. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was very encouraging in the pass game. In the run game, like I said, where we had problems, it came from the inside. Um, I saw at least one time we were running power, and I couldn't tell if it was um, if it was the, the back block assignment or if it was the backside defensive end was making the play. I think it was the back block. You know, just comes up, makes the play for a one- or two-yard loss, you know, right at the handoff point, um, right at the mesh point. That's not good. Um, if it wasn't those issues, you know, if it wasn't a, a defensive lineman on a double team, it was the second-level assignment was making the plays and the linebacker run through making some plays that is a symptom of not getting enough movement on the first level. So when you got a double team, you're not moving the defensive lineman far enough, deep enough, fast enough. You're not able to get off on that linebacker because you can't leave your first level assignment to go to your second level. Obviously the defensive line is going to get to the ball carrier faster than the linebacker will theoretically. So you got to stay on that double team until you're able to bring that double team to the linebacker. Then the guy can, whoever's responsible for that linebacker can get off on that second level assignment we weren't able to get the movement on the fir- on the first level sufficient enough to get to those linebackers. And we saw, saw a lot of linebacker run through, a lot of linebackers making plays where they shouldn't have been, backside guys making plays on zone schemes. Um, so that that was discouraging. Um, now, you mentioned 7.9 yards a clip. Um, I think a lot of that's a little inflated because we had some chunk runs, a lot of big chunk, run, chunk runs. Um, but, you know, it kind of doesn't matter how you get to the end zone so long as you get to the end zone. Um, so, if, you know, we're going to be a chunk yardage run team. That's fine. You know, we're going to have a couple, you know, single yard gains, two yard gains, and we snap off a 12 yard gain. That's fine. Um, so long as we end up in the end zone and have more points at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But from a consistency standpoint, you'd like to see more three, four, five yards when you're in those, when you're in those power schemes and those gap scheme plays like counters and things like that grinding out three to five yards every time you want to every time you need to um you know you just put your hand in the dirt and you're able to roll guys for three or four or five yards something we saw with Javante Michael Carter but what we also saw with them was that the running back can make a big difference there in terms of patience and understanding when to hit the hole which hole to hit even if it's not your primary um you know you're not not your first read as the running back um that comes with experience and like we just got done talking about I think we have a ton of talent and depth in the running back room that that may mask some issues in terms of first level movement with the offensive line in double teams in our zone and gap scheme assignments. But all that to say, compliment sandwich markedly improved from last season. I mean, just that same new defensive line had some talent like that. That defense was fast. Mm -hmm. There there were some good players on that defense. I mean, EJ, EJ said it, you know, let's not sit here and, and talk bad about FAMU. There were a lot of players on that team. And, you know, they had 20 guys that were out. That's, you know, all the, all the, all the news and headlines leading into the game was, oh, they got 20 guys ineligible. Well, only three of those were starters. So you were playing FAMU's best players, and that's a good team. They're going to make some noise at the FCS level. They got Jackson State next week. I think that's going to be a really fun game to watch. There's a lot mm-hmm. of talent on that, on that FAMU team. So, you know, let, let's, not, let's not sit here and act like this was a, a, a rollover game. Um, so if the offensive line had some struggles, you struggled against some good players. And some of those players might actually be more talented than some of the ACC players you're going to play. I mean, folks don't want to hear that, but that might actually end up being the case. So, if, you know, if, if you're going to have your struggles in week one, and that's going to result in 7.9 yards per rush, and what was it, 56 points we scored? Yeah. And we had three or three of those touchdowns were rushing touchdowns, four yep. of them were rushing touchdowns. Listen, that, that's that's a positive day. No matter how you slice it, you can sit there and, like EJ said earlier, we can sit here and nitpick 
you know, every little thing that, that we see on film and that's what we're here to do. But overall, I mean, that people should be really encouraged by that and, and encouraged by the depth we have on the offensive line as well. You know, you've got a 60 year guy in Brian Anderson as the center. And, you know, I love that guy, um, you know, but he's the backup right now and he's as capable as any center in the conference. And the, the guy we do have is from Miami, the transfer from Miami kids going to be pretty good. So, you know, be, be confident that this offensive line will be much improved from last year. And we don't need to be as concerned about injuries as we did last year because we have some really good players with a lot of experience behind them. You could open up a deli the way you cook up a, a compliment sandwich. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Catering, <laughs> catering is in my blood. <laughs> EJ, on the flip side of that, with the, the run offense, the run defense, FAMU only had 56 yards on 27 attempts, 2.1 yards per carry. What was working so well for Carolina where, where they were stuffing the Rattlers? You look at the, the run defense grades from pro football focus. DeAndre Boykins had the best rush, uh, the run defense, 81.8. He, he knifed in one time. Uh, Ray Vahasic, always in, always in the in the green stuffing plays. Power Echoes, came on Rucker. Those were the top four run defenders. What were you seeing from Carolina? Discipline. I was seeing disciplined, stout defensive players. Like usually these guys play the run and fill their gaps. I mean, like a more traditional three, four type stout linebackers, stout defensive linemen, but they're able to run around the field and make plays. This that that's what I, I think when I say that you have an athletic defensive athletic defensive front seven, it's not just the ability to rush the pass or to run around the field, but the ability to actually stand someone up with your hands and shed and make plays. And I saw a lot of that yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of missed tackles that were kind of discouraging, but generally guys were in the right position. You didn't see a lot of – they had a couple of long runs, but, I mean, a lot of – like you said, those guys are athletes and they have scholarships as well, so they're going to make some plays, but it wasn't a thing where they were able to, to constantly go back and go back. One thing that was discouraging in the run game for as well as I think that we played – our ability to play the read option. That was still kind of one of those things where it's like, if we're playing against one of those more athletic quarterbacks, a guy like Kenny Pickett with the fake slider, something crappy like that, then that may become an issue as we start to play more talented, um, more, more talented uh, offensive units. That's one thing about playing a non-traditional defense. I mean, we're out there playing a four, two, five. Yeah. It works when we were playing against some of these more spread offenses, but when you go to something more traditional, like a gap scheme, uh, a gap scheme, run a power or draw something like that or when you start talking about the read option something that's a little bit more old school I mean it's you you have to kind of specialize your defense one because it's things that you're not seeing as often and two your defense isn't specifically built to stop that um so it's going to be a little bit tougher so that was one of the more concerning things but I do think that we I mean Ravel Havoc was is doing the th same thing he's been doing since he stepped in Chapel Hill. He's completely stuffing the run. He's playing three to five yards in the backfield almost every single play. He's drawing attention. And, and all the other guys, I mean, Miles Murphy is really continuing to build on uh, the season that he had last last year. And you think about the big guy, uh, uh, Mr. Shaw in the middle, and, and I'm loving this trend that uh, Marvin Austin started with these defensive linemen wearing single digits, kind of letting you know that they're in town. But, I mean, from what I'm seeing from these guys, they're really earning 
earn it. I mean, I, I think that we're gonna I think that we're gonna be a lot better against the run. It's just that all the other things that I mean, I know we this is a question about playing the run, but it's all the other things that really concern me that aren't gonna get us in a position where teams don't feel like they can just throw the ball over our heads. Well, they have to run the ball sometimes. If we if we can just tighten up everything else, this really becomes even a, a bigger strength and those pressures start to become more effective when we can start to get more of these guys on the field that we want to get on the field. So I mean, very encouraged by what I saw, but I think everything else needs to really improve around um, our ability to play the run. And I'm really excited to see how how, how we look against a, 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 a team that's full strength on the offensive line. That's really more the traditional line that we play. And I think we'll see that in Boone next week. So if, if we can put up the same or similar performance against them, then I'll really be a believer in what we can do. And hopefully we'll see a market defensive improvement next week. I'll tell you yeah. something. Came on record, put some stuff on film that's going to have App State's tackles paying very close attention. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His 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 knock the knockback that he gets from a, for a weeks uh, traditionally weak side defensive end and his ability to rush the pass. So like he's able to convert his pass rush better than like some guys that I see doing it on Sunday. Robert Quinn was really good at that. He's going to play. He he he's the type of guy that plays the uh plays the run on the way to the quarterback. He he has the ability to see what the play is and still get the same amount of explosion off the line of scrimmage. So he's able to convert those pass rushes. So I think it's going to be really scary once we really get the chemistry and identify who our uh, consistent pass rush is going to be. But he I mean, he's been putting good things on film as far as using his hands and getting knocked back in the run game uh, since he's been on campus as well. And it's just really encouraging to see him constantly getting in better with his pass rush. So I think um, once he's really in midseason form, I think he's going to be a guy that's that's going to be um, looked at as probably one of the most improved defenders on the team. Yeah, he was the pro football focus gave out three elite pass rush grades. It was power echoes, came on Rucker and Noah Taylor. I, I made a note of it. Came on Rucker. He needs more. St- he needs more snaps. Oh yeah. You look at it. You look at his size and stature, and it, it's easy to like dismiss the the player he is or the player he can be, especially when you see other bigger names on this Carolina roster. It's the butcher. The butcher is carving mm-hmm. tackles up. He is living in the backfield. Uh, I saw his dad yesterday. His dad has come on Inside Carolina podcast before. Um, great, great family. Great guy. And the other point I, I had really quickly, you mentioned the the single digit um, defensive lineman. You have Noah Taylor, seven, and then you it's really the the interior guys. It's Travis Big Shaw. Baddies, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Travis Shaw four, Javari Ritzy five, Miles Murphy eight. Mm-hmm. Uh Keyshawn Silver was six. Him and Legend Cavazos were both six on the defense, realizing that something has to give with two defenders having the same number. I guess Cavazos was higher up on the depth chart or he got the seniority because Keyshawn Silver is wearing 55 now. I know he's not happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, he doesn't really fit in with the rest of the guy now. Like, you have a traditional number. Like, what is that? And and also to the Keymon Rucker thing, I can really relate to that because when I was playing, uh, Robert Quinn was on the other side at six five. Quentin Copels was uh was was on the same six, side seven. as me at six eight, six seven, six eight. Michael McAdoo was six eight. I was the little guy in the room, so I mean, I know how it is to kind of play with that Napoleon complex. <laughs> yeah, I used to, I, I I used to, I used to love it when EJ would line up because be like, oh, his arms are a normal length. <laughs> I, I can actually get my hands on this guy. <laughs> And then, and then he would just, and then he would just squat power claim me through the through the back of the back of the pocket. Hey man, 
You win, I you win some, you lose some. Body. <laughs> Mike, the, the last question I have for both of you guys, you, you could go at it first. North Carolina plays App State next week. Carolina is currently a two-point favorite in Boone. That line has trap line written all over it with it being App Super Bowl. Who do you think has the bigger edge? UNC for having played a game already or App State for now having film on this current North Carolina team? Because the narrative normally is how much improvement you make from game one to game two. Yeah, I still think App has the edge. This is Virginia Tech last year. This is a team that is not as talented as Carolina. This is a team that should probably lose this game, even though they're the home team. But they are playing at home. They're going to have a hyped up crowd. It is their Super Bowl. And this is a way to get their season off the right way. Um, I, I think, I think app's got the edge in this, to be honest with you. I, I, you don't want to hear this, but I think it's a uh, hot take, hot take for Mike Ingersoll. First thing Monday morning, when everyone hears this, I think that Carolina winning this game in Boone is probably an upset. You know, if you want to compare programs, Carolina is a bigger program. It's a bigger name. It's a bigger brand app historically is much more successful in football, albeit at a lower level. Um, but App came in to Chapel Hill a couple of years ago and beat us. App puts guys in the NFL at a pretty good clip. They're a very well-respected program. They do things the right way. Fundamentally, they're extremely sound. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They're always consistently good. Um, you know, that, that team is going to come ready to play. And, um, and, they, and they have every, every opportunity and every ability to beat Carolina. Um, it, it's ba- like I said, it's basically the, it's, it's the Virginia Tech game last year. It's a, it's a trap game for Carolina is what it is. It's one of those that can propel you moving forward. You know, it's a what you would think is a smaller game. It's a smaller, you know, smaller opponent. You know, they're in the fun belt. It's not a, you know, it's not a, not a, it's not an SEC team. It's not a conference game. It's not an in-conference ACC game. Um, it's not a big time, you know, out of conference power five game. Um, but it's a huge in-state rivalry game. Uh, and it's the kind of game that, you know, a loss can derail a season pretty quickly we again virginia tech we saw that at virginia tech last year um it can take the wind out of out of sails pretty quickly a win is what you should get but i think frankly we're we're the underdogs here you know whatever the line is is sort of irrelevant like you said it's a trap line i mean anything less than three points is a trap so you know it's a toss-up game i think we're the underdogs um a win should feel really good for this team particularly with a young quarterback with some new pieces with a new defensive system, um, and it's a good measuring stick, like EJ mentioned. So, you know, a win we should feel pretty good about, um, but a loss could really create a spiral effect for the coming weeks. Um, but all that said, I think I think we're the underdog, and I think a win for Carolina in Boone is an upset. EJ, how beneficial do you think it is that Carolina did have this week zero game against Florida A&M? Like, it's from- week one, Vipolis. It's week one. If it, hey, <laughs> it's week one. A is Mama call week zero. I'm gonna call week zero. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, like EJ, how much how much improvement did you see from from your playing days from week one to week two, um, and and how beneficial could that be for Carolina? Uh, 
I definitely saw a, a mar. It was a lot of improvement between week one and week two. I mean, you really go out there and see what's going to work and what's not going to work. I mean, you you work. I mean, especially just from a defensive lineman, uh, we, we we think of ourselves as the as, as the creative people of uh, of we, we think of ourselves as jumbo artists. Like we're thinking about all these creative pass rush moves and different things we can do and different ways we can align to trick the offensive lineman. Um, and we try to work on those things through the first game, usually against. Uh, what we view as lesser competition. So we do get out of position sometimes or may work some things, but then you immediately revert back to the things that you know that work. Most of the time from a coach chewing you out in a film session, you asking you what the hell are you doing when you're out here twirling around doing what you would call a pass rush move because you just saw somebody on a hard knocks try something in training camp to work, not remembering that this guy's a first-round draft pick that probably just broke the defensive line record at the combine. But anyway, um, that that's kind of one of the main reasons. The other reason is you get to see yourself on film you get to see what really works what doesn't work you really get to see the defense in motion and where you kind of fit in what's your true responsibility because what you see on paper may be your responsibility but going above and beyond is what really makes great offense it's like just like for mike his responsibility may be to to cut off his backside guy but if you want to see that 15 16 yard run then mike's going to have to get down the field and get his body on somebody in the secondary that also becomes his responsibility and you don't understand how to take that to the next level until you see it on on, on in full game film because in practice is we're stopping our plays at a certain extent. You're not going down the field chipping on your teammate. I mean, just like, I mean, when we were playing, when you have a guy down there that's going to be a potential all-ACC guy that's going to lead your defense and is also a good guy who's a great great in your locker room, you're not going down the field trying to chip on that guy. You're going down the field putting one hand on him just so you can see on film that you have him. For I'm defensive going down the field putting one hand on him because I'm tired and practice is long. And it's that too. Long. That that. Come on, Mike. Mike, I'm trying to make you look like You're a good guy, not just a fat we were, we were, Exactly. We put one hand on guys because we we're lazy. We have to keep the mystique around the game, man. We. I mean, there's a reason that they ask us to come on these podcasts because they think we have something that the general public doesn't know. And if I don't keep the mystique going, then I'm ruining our opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm special in a lot of ways. Exactly. <laughs> But, but but no, seriously, I mean, this you, way. You, you do get to see the end of the plays. I mean, for defensive linemen, we get to finish our pass rushes. We don't get to finish our pass rush in practice. Like, I, I mean, absolutely true. Yeah, I couldn't go sack TJ Yates when I was in college. I mean, it, it just wouldn't have flown. It probably would have started another fight that would have just tired us, tired us out more. And and just going to, to, to the game specifically in app. One of the most well, well, I don't know how it was still a well-kept secret, but anybody who's played football, who knows people who's who's seen App play, who knows anything about football in the state of North Carolina knows that App is, that's one of the best programs in the state. Just because they play where they play doesn't mean that they don't have top-tier athletes playing there. And also, just to go into the other emotional aspect of this being their their Super Bowl, I, I don't know if it's, this is their first season or their second season in their newly renovated stadium. They renovated that stadium because of games like this, because they know that when Carolina comes, the recruits are watching them. It's like, oh, App has a nice stadium. I would love to play there and, oh, they just so happen to upset Carolina or play good with Carolina or play top with there. If Carolina isn't, isn't recruiting me or not, I'm not able to play there. I can go to app play against Carolina and show them really what they're missing out on. So that's the attitude of anybody going in there that there's going to be a chip on their shoulders. So app knows exactly what they're doing by scheduling these type of games and by doing things like this. So it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a good game, I think, for us coming off this. It's going to be a real test. Yes, it's going to be some competition, but it's going to be some real emotion. I mean, there's going to be some almost Duke-NC State-like 
Wake Forest type energy going into this game. So, I mean, it's good to have this rivalry game and a game that's really going to be on the line. So hopefully this doesn't become a trap game and they take it as seriously as, as the guys down in Boone are going to take it. And let's just face it, this is not their first time seeing the big time team. People want to um, people don't want to talk about the mission game as much because it's been a while back, but they're still talking about it in Boone. And I mean, we, we know for a fact we had Jeff Connors as a strength coach who came from East Carolina. We knew what the attitude was in that program and we had a chip on our shoulder because Coach C would compare us to them so much. So we know what goes on in those mid-major type programs and how they view uh, teams like Carolina and we know how important it's going to be to them. Yeah, that attitude is is the biggest thing. I think when you look at a team like App State, it's it's a lot of players that feel slighted that they weren't recruited by the schools like Carolina. So when they get the chance to play them, if you're not careful, they're they're coming for your head. They're coming for your scholarship. They're they're coming for everything that you love and hold dear to you. But North Carolina plays next Saturday at App, 12 p.m. kickoff on I think it's on ESPNU. This is Carolina going into their Sun Belt portion of their schedule. Two two Sun Belt road games back to back. They're uh, ramping up to ACC play yeah. is what yeah. <laughs> really easing into this twenty twenty two. But but by the way, who do they play after those two Sun Belt games? I forget. It's uh, Notre Dame. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yikes! If, if Carolina goes two and zero against App and Georgia State, they are allowed to claim a portion of the Sun Belt title. Uh, I'm officially writing that in. Uh, but guys, it was a pleasure getting back on here with you. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you everybody for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Yes, sir. See you guys. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. what'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.